0: This evening in your Bible, we would direct your attention to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter 1, we'll read that portion of the inspired Word of God. Uh, Then after that, we'll also read from one of our confessional documents, the Belgic Confession, Article 4, and you can find that in the book in your pew rack entitled Forms and Prayers on page 154. But well, we read first from the inspired Word of God, and as you turn to the reference an anecdotal story, uh, a former elder in my former congregation, a man who is now in glory, uh, he was born and raised uh, in the Christian church uh, in the state of Iowa, ironically, providentially enough. Uh, he lived, of course, in the Grand Rapids area, and, and he would often tell me of a most discouraging event that would take place. He would go back to his birthplace. And he would worship in the church in which he was born and raised. Now that in and of itself is not the sad part, but the sad part is that he would come back and he would often say with sorrow in his heart that was tangible, you could almost see the tears in his eyes and the brokenness of his heart, and he would say the Bible was not even opened and it was not even read. They had a worship service. But the Bible was not even opened and it was not even read. He would say the minister had a 15- to 20-minute conversation, but the Bible was never opened and was never read. And it is my hope and prayer that that never happens here. But the way that we will prevent that from happening is to understand why we open up the Bible and what it is that we open when we do open up the Bible. And that's why we're moving through the Belgic Confession article by article as it lays forth these basic biblical truths Uh, that are also so clearly articulated in the words of our text that we'll find in 2 Peter 1, verse 19-21. to But for context's sake, uh, we read the first chapter in its entirety. So we give attention to the reading of the very Word of God. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to Him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son." in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Thus far this evening, our reading from the Word of God. We then turn to the Belgic Confession, Article 4, entitled, The Canonical Books. We include in the Holy Scriptures the two volumes of the Old and New Testaments. They are canonical books with which there can be no quarrel at all. In the church of God, the list is as follows. In the Old Testament, the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The books of Joshua, Judges, Ruth. The two books of Samuel. The two books of Kings. The two books of Chronicles. The books of Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. The book of Job. The Psalms. The three books of Solomon. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Songs. The five books of the four major prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. The books of the twelve minor prophets. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. In the New Testament, the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The Acts of the Apostles. The thirteen letters of Paul to the Romans. The two letters to the Corinthians, to the Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. The two letters to the Thessalonians. The two letters to Timothy, to Titus, Philemon. The letter to the Hebrews, the seven letters to the other, of the other apostles, one of James, two of Peter, three of John, one of Jude, and the revelation of the apostle John. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we begin by way of introduction with a simple question. A simple question, but also a very profound and a complex question. We just want to ask and seek to answer it at the simplest of levels. How do you know what you know? And how are you certain of that which you profess to know? In relation to that, whom do you trust when it comes to questions of how do we know what we know? We live in a day and age in which I believe most of us would agree that uh, the population, even at a general level, is losing confidence and losing trust in uh, those organizations, those persons who spend their life communicating knowledge, communicating events. I don't think there's many of us when we turn on uh, the news, whether it be the local news channel or whether it be a national news channel, I don't think there's many of us who are willing to say, I take everything that they say as being absolutely truth. Uh, There has developed within us, and to some degree, understandably so, uh, a certain cynical spirit uh, that is very, very hesitant to believe that which we are told. Especially it might be if a person is very emphatic that they are proclaiming to you the truth that is scientifically proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. Then many of us, there arises this lingering doubt. How do I know what the truth is? Now, this is not a new question. Pilate asked, what is truth? And humanity has a long history of searching for what is truth. Uh, But our goal tonight and our hope for tonight is that no one of us, especially uh, the young people of this congregation, uh, would have any type of cynical spirit when we come to the Holy Word of God. That we would be convinced... Beyond the shadow of any doubt, that when we take our Bibles in our hands and when we open up any one of the 66 books, that we would know that here we have the very Word of God that is absolutely trustworthy and absolutely reliable. That here we have a revelation from God that we do not have to be critical towards. We don't have to sift through the various letters, the various historical narratives, the various prophetical oracles and somehow determine, well, this is truth and this is false. But rather, with the childlike faith of genuine Christianity, we can open our Bibles, whether it be Genesis 1, Genesis 11, whether it be one of the narratives of the Kings and of the Chronicles, or whether it be the account of the Gospel of Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, or even if it be the Apocalypse vision that is afforded to John in the closing of the canon that we would know that here is absolute truth upon which we can build our life and upon which we can face our death. In relation to Article 4 of the Belgic Confession, to quote one Reformed author, because the Bible itself claims to be the Word of God, the Belgic Confession, and I would add, the Christian church and the mature Christian person himself or herself confesses that this is The Word of the living God. So to go back to the anecdotal story, why is it that we open our Bibles every time we gather together for worship? Because we believe that this is the Word of God. So our theme tonight, building upon 2 Peter 1, 19-21, which speaks about no Scripture comes by way of private interpretation or by private origin. And what that means is it's not that Peter or John or Jude or James just came up with this message on their own. But rather, men, holy men, chosen men, selected men, spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit to give us the canonical Scripture. So our theme is our belief concerning Canonicity. We'll notice first of all tonight the idea of the canon and then secondly the need for the canon and then thirdly the recognition of the canon. So our belief concerning canonicity, first of all the idea, secondly the need, and then thirdly the recognition of the canon. First of all, the idea of the canon and two truths that I would want to communicate clearly with you tonight so that when we leave here and when we think to ourselves, well, what did we hear tonight? We heard this about the canon, that the canon is defined and that it is closed. So we speak about the Christian church, the Reformed Christian church speaks about a defined canon. Now, boys and girls, this word canon doesn't have two ends in the middle. It does have two ends, but not two in the middle. So this is not a canon like you would roll out on a, on a battlefield. You think of Civil War canons. Uh, heavy artillery equipment used to, to launch projectiles at, at the enemy. That's not the type of cannon we're talking about here. But rather, we're talking about the canon in relationship to the 66 books of the Bible that are given by inspiration, that are breathed out by the Holy Spirit, uh, that are therefore inerrant, having no errors, no mistakes in the original manuscripts, and that are infallible, that is unable to be wrong. These are what we call... The canonical books, they are authoritative for our doctrine and our life. The word canon, as we use it in this context, means a standard or a rule that is fixed and that is set. Boys and girls, again, I don't know if in your home you have a yardstick. I remember growing up, we we always had yardsticks. Uh, I, I don't really know where we got them. I don't really know why we had them. But yardsticks are a fixed standard of measurement. Three feet. One yard. Maybe some of the uh, football fans, uh, they know that this is a basic concept. One yard always has exactly three feet in it. So if you buy a yardstick, It's not 38 inches long, and it's not 34 inches long. They're always 36 inches long. Three feet, one yard, a fixed unit of measurement. That's the idea of a canon. It comes from a word used for a fixed length measuring reed during the biblical times. It's used in Galatians 6, verse 16, where Paul says, And as many as walk according to this rule, or this canon, Or this fixed standard, as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. Now in that context, when the Apostle Paul uses that word, that rule, that canon, is the exclusiveness of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is one of the most basic principle truths that the Word of God, the 66 inspired, infallible, and errant books reveal to us. That there is a fixed way of salvation and that fixed way of salvation is only based upon the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you'll notice again how countercultural the Bible and the Bible message is. Well, the world says there are many ways to uh, attain peace, eternal peace. The Bible comes and in a fixed rule of authoritative truth and reality says there's only one way of salvation. And that is the message also that we proclaim to each and every listener who hears these words. There is only one way of salvation. And that way of salvation, that way of peace, that way of mercy, that way of grace is only found in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, who in the fullness of time took our human nature upon Himself, body and soul, made like unto us in all points with the exception of sin to be a perfect mediator, to offer a substitutionary sacrificial atonement. That you and I desperately need to be reconciled to God. So that's what the word means. A defined canon, a fixed measure, a fixed standard. Uh, And you can demonstrate its importance if you just think uh, perhaps uh, of the harvest season that's going on. And a bushel is a bushel is a bushel as long as the day is long. Uh, Imagine the chaos if every individual farmer or every individual local co-op or every individual grain buyer was able to determine in a subjective way how big or how small they wanted a bushel to be. Absolute chaos would result. Or imagine if you applied the same principle to a gallon of fuel. So your gallon was different than my gallon. And I'm selling and you're buying and we're... In absolute chaos because there's no definite standard. But that is exactly congregation, the way that our culture and the way that our world is moving in moral truth and in spiritual realities. But this is really nothing new because you can think of the days in the Judges when each man did what was right in his own eyes. Now that's not a complimentary commentator upon the culture. Each person did what they thought was right in their own eyes, but just because a person thinks what they do is right, does not mean that it is right. Everything goes back to the canon that is the fixed authoritative determiner of truth and of moral value and of the way of salvation. So we have a defined canon. And we also have a closed canon. When we speak about a closed canon, that expresses the reality that in the 66 books of the Bible, we have the definitive revelation from God for our time. No books that should be included have been omitted. No books that perhaps will be found in the future, and so there is reference by the Apostle Paul that he wrote an epistle to the church in Laodicea. If by some marvel we were to find that book, it would not be included in the canon, because there are certain criteria for the canon, and one of the criteria of the canon is that there must be a universal acknowledgement and acceptance of the book. Well, many, many eras of the church have come and gone without the epistle to the church in Laodicea, having been included in the canon. The canon is closed. Not because we just cried out no more joiners, but because God has been pleased to give us these 66 books. Not 65 and not 67, but rather these... 66. You can think there of Revelation 22, verse 18 and 19, where John writes underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, if anyone tries to add to Scripture, and all throughout church history, and you can study church history, and you can see that from the earliest post-apostolic era, there was this tendency to add some type of further revelation, usually given by cultish leaders and their ideas to add to Scripture. Well, John, and really the Holy Spirit warns us of the danger of trying to add to the Scriptures by saying, I, that is God, will add to Him the plagues that are written in this book. And on the contrary, the other danger is that we would take away from Scripture. So if you know church history, you know that there was the heretic Marcion, and he with one swipe of his heretical hand throughout the entirety of the Old Testament And then with his higher critical spirit, he began to edit the New Testament so that when he was done, he had one account of the Gospel, heavily edited, and he had 12 epistles of Paul. Everything else in the Bible was gone. And the church rightly said, Marcion, you're a heretic. Based upon Revelation 22 verse 19, if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. And so I trust that we are well familiar with the phrase sola scriptura, scripture alone, but there's also another phrase that's not as well known that is totus scripture, all of scripture. So scripture alone, but all of scripture. And we must, because we believe in a closed canon, These 66 books against which no quarrel can be made. We must be very, very zealous in our own practical congregational life not to add one jot or one tittle to the Word of God, nor take away one jot or one tittle. Not the slightest little addition can we afford to allow to be made to the Scriptures. And not one slight omission. Because we believe in a defined and in a closed canon. Why do we need this canon? Why is this so important? We would say that it is important to regulate our doctrine and to regulate our life. Uh, And and we already alluded to the chaos that results if you're going to follow just some type of subjective uh, standard. We need an objective standard. And thankfully, we are given an objective standard that is all based upon uh, the existence of one only true God who is unchangeable, And so already, and and sometimes people hesitate and they think, well, is doctrine really that important? Yes, it is vitally important. The the reason that we have an authoritative Word of God that is timeless is because of the attribute of God, which we call the immutability of God. God does not change. And so His Word does not change. Uh, We mere humans, we often change our words. Uh, We do so because we have an imperfect knowledge. We have a limited knowledge. And so we might say one thing on Monday and then we say something different on Wednesday because we learned something on Tuesday. You see, that never happens with God. We might make plans for doing an activity, but then change our mind. We don't feel like doing that activity. Or something unforeseen comes up or some insurmountable obstacle stands in the way. That never happens with God. So because we know God as He truly is to be an immutable God, His Word is unchangeable. And it regulates our doctrine. It tells us what we are to believe about God's being, about who He is. That He is eternal. And that He is triune. Now much, much more could be said about the doctrine of God, but those are the basics. We are convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt, and we would say that to a skeptical world, we know that only one true God exists. Well, how do you know? Well, we have His authoritative Word. And we know that He is a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I love the simplicity of the Heidelberg Catechism when it asks, Uh, The catechism student, since God is one, why do you speak of three? And the answer is, because God has so revealed Himself that way in His Word. And that ultimately has to be our answer whenever we are asked for the reasons for why we believe what we believe. Why do you believe in one God? Because God has revealed it in His Word. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, I am the Lord your God. Uh, We believe what we believe, at least we ought to believe what we believe because of what The Scriptures say to us, and so our doctrine that is the truths that we believe not only about God, but also about ourselves. Do you know who you are? I don't ask that question as a joke. Because there are many, many, many a person, and maybe a person hears these words tonight who if they're honest, they have to answer, no, I don't really know who I am. Because that's part thats part of the devastating impact of the lie of the evolutionary theory of the origins of all things. And part of the reason why we have a world that is filled with people who are absolutely clueless is because all of the experts, the pretended experts in the world are saying to our young people, we're not really sure where you came from. We're not really sure where you're going. And we're not really sure who you are thanks be to God, the Christian church ought to rise up in the midst of that chaos and confusion and say, we do know where we came from. And we do know where we're going. And we do know who we are. Image bearers of the one only true God. And of course, Scripture reveals truths about the work and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot cannot have a mature relationship with Jesus Christ if you do not know who He is. And so the Scriptures reveal to us who Jesus Christ is. And I ask the question just to prove the point and to press the point. What would you know about Jesus Christ if you were to remove the Scriptures? The answer would be nothing. But thanks be to God that we have an absolutely authoritative and reliable testimony that reveals to us who Jesus Christ is as the eternal Son of God in the fullness of time, very man of very man. Two natures in one person. And not only His person, but also His work. His work of mediatorial humiliation that He was incarnate, that He suffered, that He died. Not just to show us a good way to die, living for a cause and dying for a cause, but he died to satisfy the wrath of God by making an atonement for sin. All of this truth upon which we stake our very life and our very death and our hope for time and for eternity is based upon the simple testimony of the Word of God. And this is what brings about this type of passion. We're meeting people. People raised in the church. People catechized in the church who are coming and are saying, we're not really sure about anything. Well, why aren't you sure about anything? Well, we're not We're not really sure that the Bible is authoritative. We're not really sure that it speaks truth. Well, that's why you're confused. That's why you don't believe anything with absolute certainty. And that brings a whole host of other issues upon one's life. But the church, generally speaking, has contributed to the problem by saying, we're going to close the Bible and we're going to replace the clear, simple exposition of the Bible. We're going to do something else other than preach the Word of God. Why does a church say that? Why does a church close its Bible and, so to speak, slide it under the pulpit and then maybe slide the pulpit off to the side and bring in everything else? It's because the church, by and large, has lost its conviction in the authority of the Word of God. If we believe this to be the very Word of God, why would we ever substitute it with anything? For anything? You might say, well, that's old-fashioned. And it is. Because the people of God have for thousands of years been gathering around the Word of God because they understand, man, as Jesus Christ said, does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. And where do you find the words of the Father? In the canon. The 66 inspired, infallible, inerrant books of the Bible. So the need for the canon is to regulate doctrine and to regulate life. Uh, Much of the moral chaos, and we'll be brief on this, much of the moral chaos that we find in our culture and creeping in uh, the church, generally speaking, is a direct result uh, because of the Inability to clearly define doctrine. You could take simply one pressing cultural, moral issue. That is of gender identity. How did we get to the confusion that we are now in? I'll tell you in part how we got there. By saying, we're not sure about the testimony of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Because where in Scripture do you begin to find a clear revelation of the reality of binary gender? God created them male and female. see, what has happened is people said, hmm, I'm not so sure about that. I'm not so sure about the reliability of those opening chapters. Because man has said over here, these things. And the Bible says these other things. And the Word of God is in conflict with the Word of man. And here's the dreadful decision that many have made. We're going to trust the Word of man. The moment you do that, the result is chaos and confusion. The Word of God regulates doctrinal truth and moral truth. And we need as a church to be ready to give an answer to those who ask the reason for the hope that we have. But we need to do it sanctifying the Lord God in our hearts. Oftentimes, the passage of 1 Peter 3.15 is referenced without that first statement. The first thing to do is not give a defense. The first thing to do is sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. To have Him set as the ultimate object of our affections. Because you defend that which you love. If we love the Lord our God, then we will defend His truth, His very words. But the text, of course, of Peter continues that we do so with a certain meekness. If we're going to offend, the offense must come from the truth of the Word of God, not our presentation of the truth of the Word of God. And I'm concerned that some within the Reformed camp find great pleasure in giving offense by the way that they present their defense. and They kind of chalk it up as a victory if they have offended someone because of their defense of the Gospel. When we defend the faith, In doctrine and in morality, we must do so with a certain meekness. That is not weakness, nor a theological compromise. A certain winsomeness within our very character and our very spirit. Uh, The authority and the reliability of the Bible, if you think of it, many of you no doubt uh, have manuals. Perhaps owner's manuals, operational manuals. You can also think of computer software. And one thing that always strikes me, and I'm very limited in my knowledge of computer technology, but one thing that always strikes me is that you always need updates. Everything always needs to be updated. And I, I just saw an ad, I think, in maybe even in the town cry. I'm not sure where I saw it. Uh, but John Deere had this big push. You can now update your equipment. You don't, you don't have to buy new. I'm sure they'd want you to buy new also. But if you're not going to buy new, update what you have. No payments until 2022. Not that I'm looking to update any of my equipment, but you can always update things. You can never update the Bible. Because from the moment that it has been given to us, it has this attribute of perfection. Nothing more can be added. And nothing can be taken away. Nothing can be improved. And we need to recognize that. And that brings us into our third point, the recognition of the canon. The recognition of the canon. That is the recognition and the acknowledgement that these 66 books of the Bible as listed clearly in our confessional article. That recognition is not a result of human persuasion. It's not as if I can somehow stand before a skeptic and win them over by my clear logical argumentation and my winsome personality. Now hopefully we have clear argumentation and a winsome personality, but at the end of the day, what is it that gives us, or more properly speaking, who is it that gives us this sense of certainty in the Word of God? How is it that two people within the same covenantal family can grow up in a church and hear the Word of God read, preached, taught, go to catechism class basically together? have the same parents, receive the same instruction, and one person take their Bible and say, this is the Word of God and I believe it beyond any shadow of any doubt. And the other person say, I want nothing to do with that. The difference is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who gives what we call the understanding or the recognition of the canon. Now, these 66 books, and we want to be clear on this, these 66 books are not authoritative because the church says they are authoritative. That's the lie of the Roman Catholic Church. The church does not give the Bible its authority. The Bible has an inherent authority. God gives His own words authority. And it is the Holy Spirit who then works His work of grace within the hearts of the elect children of God That they see and they recognize and they also submit to the reality of that authority. So the recognition of the Word of God is the result of the internal work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why there ought to be and there must be, there has to be Uh, in a covenantal church. What do I mean by that? A church that understands the reality of the covenant from one generation to the next generation of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and down throughout the subsequent generations. And so you fathers and grandfathers and mothers and grandmothers, as you look upon your children and grandchildren, there ought to be this earnest prayer continually going forth from this congregation. Lord, grant these children an understanding of the Scriptures impress upon their hearts from their youngest and tenderest days, even the days spent in their mother's womb, impress upon them that this is the very Word of God that as they come to the years of discernment and as they come to the years of maturity, that they would not be filled with doubts, tossed to and fro with all sorts of uncertainties in our subjective ridden era, but they would say, I know that the Word of God is just that. The very Word of God. Because then there will be something different about how they read the Bible and how they listen to the Bible being read and how they participate in worship. You see a person who is gripped by this awareness that the Word of God is just that. The Word of God is the person who will indeed have their heart broken when they go back to their home church after 40 or 50 years and as they sit as a guest in that church and they observe that the Bible is not even opened, then their heart will be broken. Because they know the Word of God to be just that, the Word of God, that reveals the way of salvation. Uh, you might say that the Bible is similar to a GPS. Now I want to qualify that because there again, GPS's, you always have to update them and sometimes they, they get things wrong. Sometimes they take you on the most obscure path. The Bible never does that. The Bible never gets anything wrong as it reveals to you and to me, to us, the way of salvation. The way of life. The way of eternal life. uh, Through the grace and the mercy of God. But we also must always know, and with this I close, we must always know that the Bible's center focus and thrust of revelation is the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is not just some data book for those who are religiously curious. The Bible reveals Jesus Christ. And I say that because many, many, many a person has read their Bible. Maybe even has debated about the Bible, but has missed the message of the Bible. You can think in the New Testament era and the days of the Lord Jesus Christ of the Pharisees. On the one hand, they knew their Bible. I mean, they they could quote obscure texts from... The depths of Leviticus. And they could pull it up at random. They they knew their Bible in a superficial, erroneous way. But they missed the whole message. Jesus gave this indictment of Him in John 5, verse 39-40, and speaking to the Pharisees, you search the Scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of Me. Notice that Jesus Christ says, The Scriptures in all 66 canonical books testify of Him. Then He gives this indictment against the Pharisees, but you are not willing to come to Me that you may have life. They knew their Bible, and yet they really didn't know their Bible. Because a person who, underneath the work of the Holy Spirit, really knows the Bible is the person who comes to Jesus Christ for life in the simple, sincere, continuous exercise of faith and of repentance. So I ask you, do you know your Bible? Do you know that it reveals the one way of salvation? Through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Have you and are you coming to Him in faith and in repentance? There is an encouragement for all of us for the first time or by renewal, to continue coming to the Lord Jesus Christ because He says that no one who comes to Him will be cast out. So come to Him. Him whom the Scriptures testify. That only are open Bibles necessary, but also believing hearts. This is not just some historic artifact that we set in a prominent place in our home to say there, look, we are a Bible-believing home. This is the living Word of God that we read, that we study, that we live by. And when the day comes, also that we die by. So that even when we die, we yet live through the Word of God which gives life both now and forevermore. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You first and foremost that You have spoken to us, revealing Yourself and revealing Your Son, Jesus Christ, and revealing with clarity the way of salvation so that in the Scriptures, The main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. We ask that young and old from one generation to another generation within this congregation might, underneath the work of the Holy Spirit, have an unshakable conviction of the reliability and the authority of the Word of God. And as the culture's winds continue to blow all sorts of strange doctrines and strange teachings, may we stand unmovable, having a sure and a solid foundation in the Word of God. We ask this so that your kingdom might continue to be increased here among us. For Jesus' sake, in whose name we pray, amen.